Welcome, friends, to this brand new edition of A Heart After God Bible Teaching Ministry with Pastor Brad Abley. We're delighted that you've joined us today, and we've already been praying for you, that you would meet the Lord in a fresh new way. We've also been praying that you would be changed and transformed into the image of Jesus by the power of His Word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, let's resume our Know Your Faith series as we go through the entire Gospel of Luke patiently, slowly, and verse by verse. Here's Pastor Brad. Well, very warm greetings to you, my dear friends. This is Pastor Brad Abley with the Heart After God Bible Teaching Ministry, a ministry that is designed to take you deeper into the Word of God. Thank you for listening uh, to this broadcast today. Now, I'm going to pause our current series because it's really strongly on my heart to tackle one of the most important subjects there is in the Christian faith and in the world itself, and that is the subject, the topic, the life-giving matter of prayer. And I'm entitling it simply the Prayer Series, the Prayer Series. And today's message is in the form of a question, and that is, what is prayer? Now, I think you're going to be surprised by the answers that we give. Certainly, I'm not going to try to give a comprehensive answer to that broad question in one message, and thus the reason for the series. But there are many other topics we're going to focus on in prayer as well. The joy of prayer, the challenge of prayer, uh, the difficulty of prayer, the reason for prayer, uh, that is, why should we pray, the reward of prayer. So many different topics that come straight from Scripture that we're going to get into. But before we begin uh, the rest of the message, I want to share with you a story about a young man who was powerfully transformed through prayer. And that young man that I'll refer to now was me when I was in my 20s. You see, my wife and I had gotten married when I was 23, and I was on fire for the Lord. I wanted to treat her as a just a queen before God. She was his gift to me. That's how I saw her. And I did not want to have a marriage like what I grew up in, in my home for 18 years, a marriage in my parents' lives that was almost non-existent. And it was because my father was an alcoholic. <laughs> in some cultures, they call him a drunkard. And he was extremely abusive verbally it was like it was like living with someone that that played psycho psychological warfare with his words he was violent physically and he was basically useless as a father and so i didn't have a godly example like it would have been great to have in a father 
and our home was filled with strife every day, virtually every day. And if it was on the weekends, it was even worse because he had all day to drink. And he would go out and drink late at night, Friday night, Saturday night. Sometimes he wouldn't come home. And then when he did come home, there was hell to pay. And so growing up in a situation like that, that was unsafe, depressing, caused great anxiety and great shame, I didn't have an example. In fact, I didn't have an example of an older brother because I was the oldest of three boys. I didn't have the example of a cousin or an uncle. I never had a mentor. I None of my coaches in sports, they were all, I mean, I'll just be honest with you, they were all jerks. And so they weren't helpful either. Now, several years, it might have been five years after our marriage, it was probably more like three or four years. Let me just put it at that. <laughs> Within a very short time span, there were five different people, I think included in that was my pastor and his wife. So five or six different people who came to me privately and said, we don't like, or I don't like the way you treat your wife. I'm concerned about how you treat your wife. Now, my friends, what shocked me about that is it's not like I yelled at my wife or screamed at her in public. I never put her down. Then I never have. And so it really shocked me. What was it that they were seeing? But every one of, and they didn't know the other person was sharing this, but it was the Holy Spirit who sent them to me to challenge me to humble myself. And basically it was pride, pride coming forth in being defensive, being reactionary, uh, being threatened by her wisdom, which is far greater than mine, and uh, having a short fuse, a quick temper, exploding over things that were um, unimportant. And it just broke me. And so I wrote down the things that that they saw in my life. I wrote it down on a piece of paper. And then the Holy Spirit started to supply other things that I saw in my life that I saw in the Word of God as well. And I want to tell you that I was desperate, desperate to please God and honor Him. And I thank Him for a verse like Proverbs 10, 17, which I probably had already committed to memory before I was rebuked. But it says this, he is on the path of life who heeds instruction, but he who forsakes reproof goes astray. 
you know, before we go any further, let's stop and pray because I haven't prayed uh, for our message yet. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for every single man, woman, young person, and child that is listening to this broadcast. Would you bless them? Would you change us and transform us now, Holy Spirit, through prayer and through the awesome power of your word, so that we can walk in the freedom that you have for us, Lord Jesus, to glorify the Father and the Son. And we ask these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. Now, I was desperate, absolutely desperate, to treat Maureen the way she deserved to be treated and to honor God in my marriage. And thankfully, by the grace of God, instead of trying to defend myself with the the five different people that came to me out of concern and rebuked me, um, it wasn't mean, it wasn't harsh, it was just direct and straightforward. But I had the conviction already from Proverbs 10, verse 17, that he is on the path of life who heeds instruction. That Hebrew word can also mean correction or discipline. But he who ignores reproof goes astray. Now, I could have ignored their reproof, although I would have been stupid because five different people came to me and they're all saying the same thing. And I knew that they hadn't compared notes beforehand. But I have always wanted the life of God. And so I was motivated to take their correction, humble myself, and go to the Lord in prayer. Now, I I cannot say to you that with all my fervent prayer, I'm telling you it was on my knees every single time, many times at the point of tears weeping before God, crying out to him to set me free and deliver me from these things. Yes, he began to answer prayer right right away, but the change took place over the course of some years. Now, I'm not saying to you that that's how long it will take you. It could be less time. It could be more time. But one thing I know, though I never wanted to behave that way towards my wife, all those years growing up in what was like a verbal war zone, those things were imparted to me. They became part of my nature. Now, I'm not blaming my father or my mother. They were my sins. But God, my heavenly father, in his grace and in his mercy, saw to it that I needed, it was the time, it was the right time to be corrected. And I'm assuming that he saw that my heart was ready to receive that correction and to do something about it. Now, I can say 40 years later, we just celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary in June, that I barely know the man that I used to be. And our marriage 
has been blessed. It has been on, if you will, the path of life that Solomon talks about here in Proverbs 10, verse 17. Our marriage has been blessed. Our marriage has been joyful. Our marriage has been a marriage of purpose and destiny. And I could go on and on at length about what God has done for the two of us together and for us individually, but as a result of our marriage. And humanly speaking, it it largely came down to whether I would obey or disobey. Because had I disobeyed those, uh, the had I disobeyed God who sent those people, then I don't know what would have happened to our marriage. But it certainly would never have been as fruitful and rewarding as it's been for these past 40 years. And it was because I was desperate. Hear what I'm saying, my friends. It was because I was desperate to please God, and I demonstrated that desperation by seeking to live according to his word through prayer. And that is why I am a huge, huge proponent of prayer. Now, what is prayer? That's the title, this question, what is prayer? There's a lot of confusion out there about what prayer really is. But I think the best way and the best place to answer that question easily, one of the most important matters in life is to read and heed what Jesus himself said about prayer, what he says about prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to look at verses 5 through 14. Matthew chapter 6 and verses 5 through 14. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 verses. We're going to, our section, our passage will be from verses 5 through 14. The most, most of those verses are known as the Lord's Prayer, which I like to call the Lord's pattern of prayer. Are you ready? Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5. Um, you know what I think I'm going to do? I'm going to read starting with verse 1 because I want to set a, the larger context here. The first four verses I'm going to read pretty quickly. But listen carefully. Jesus says to his disciples and to those that are listening, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Who is he referring to? He's referring to the religious leaders who were experts in the Old Testament. And they had absolutely twisted and perverted the Old Testament and religion in Israel. They, in fact, did not know God, though they thought they knew him 
better than anyone. He says, don't do these things so that you may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. They have their reward in full. That's the second time he's used that word reward. But when you give to the poor, verse 3, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I love that figure of speech. So that your giving will be in secret, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That tells us immediately something about the nature of God, doesn't it? That he is a rewarder, but not to everyone. And he also rewards based on knowing and doing his will. Now, we get to the heart of this passage in verse 5. When you pray, not if, but when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. Second time he's used that word. Watch this. He says, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. That is what their religion boiled down to, so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their what? Reward in full. Fourth time he's used that word reward. But you, verse six, when you pray, and pray is in the present tense, which means a lifestyle. When you pray, go into your inner room and close your door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That, my friends, is a promise from Jesus himself, and it's in the Word of God. He says, go into your inner room. That Greek word, tameon, is a place where treasures were kept. And so it's no surprise that Jesus would then immediately, with this metaphor, place the highest value on prayer. They would get that. And he also emphasized private prayer before public prayer. The Pharisees, the scribes, the hypocrites, they were all about praying publicly to be noticed by men. Jesus says, you want to be noticed by your Father who is in heaven, and he will reward you when you spend time with him. That, in part, is what prayer is. It is rewarding. It is satisfying, according to the teaching of Jesus right here. And then in verse 7, he says, when you are praying. Now, this is the third time that he assumes prayer is the ordinary part of a believer. When you are praying, verse 7, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. Doesn't mean we can't repeat our requests, but not meaningless 
repetition, mindless repetition, as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, verse 8, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, my friends, obviously there, prayer is revealed by Jesus as engaged in a relationship with God our Father, who is welcoming us, who wants to answer our prayers, who wants to reward us. And what is the greatest reward of all? Please don't think in terms of finances, although finances are important, and he certainly can and does reward us financially. But most important of all is the relationship that we can have that can expand and deepen and grow in our relationship with God our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. That should bring us security in praying as well. Pray then, verse 9, in this way. And that's why I call the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's pattern of prayer, because it's after this manner. It's not a rote prayer that can be prayed in 15 or 20 seconds, but it is a pattern of prayer. You could almost, uh, you could almost attribute sections to the prayer. In my mind, easily the longest section of all could be the very first part in verse 9. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed means holy. We are coming into the presence of our Father, but he is our Father in heaven. He is our heavenly Father. And we are called to worship him, to adore him, to stand in awe of him, to magnify him, to exalt him, and to treat him as he must be treated, and that is as holy, as holy. Do you treat him as holy? That's the other thing that prayer is. It is to treat God the way he's revealed himself to us, and that is holy with reverence, with awe, with gratitude. And I would even say walking softly before him, if I can use that term. Now, we'll come back next week, perhaps, and dig further in this. But then he goes on and he teaches us to transition into a second phase of this prayer. Now, I already covered verse 9 in just a minute, but listen, my friends, you could, and I often do this for verse 9, I often will have a time of praise and worship so that I might spend 10, 15, 20 minutes in praise and worship focused on hallowing the Father's name. Or I could spend 5 or 10 minutes talking and listening, talking and listening, but it's all thanking him 
praising him for who he is and for what he has done for me. So there's no petition at this point. There's no request. And that is the wisdom of Jesus. Requests are going to come in the remainder of the prayer. But the first part of this prayer has no requests at all. It is rather us giving to the Father rather than asking Him to give to us. And that, my friends, is always, always, always the best way of approaching the Father in prayer. As a matter of fact, you can see throughout the book of Psalms, not in every psalm, but in a large um, number of the psalms, the psalmist, David, who wrote more than half the psalms, called the man after God's own heart, begins the psalm in praise and worship, essentially hallowing God's name. Now, the disciples were used to that. They understood that. But what was different that no other man or woman of God ever had the opportunity to do under the the old covenant? What was entirely different is that Jesus invited his disciples to know God as Father. Now, we have to develop that much more because I know from experience as a pastor, and many people have difficulty calling God Father because perhaps they didn't have a good relationship with their earthly father or didn't even have an earthly father. And listen, I understand that, don't I? I've already explained to you the kind of father that I had growing up. And so let me say this. If anyone has a reason for not calling or even wanting to know God as father, wouldn't it be me? And yet, when I read the New Testament, I see the overriding, extraordinary value of knowing God the Father. And I also see in the New Testament, for example, in Romans 8, 15 and Galatians 4, verse 6, I see that it is one of the roles of God the Holy Spirit to enable us to come to know God as God our Father as our Father. That's what He, the Holy Spirit is at work doing is, is revealing the Father, enabling us to even use the word Father. That's what Paul said in Romans 8, verse 15. That is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. And so we can ask Him, Holy Spirit, help me to come to know the Father. Remember, um, Jesus promised us, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We need the God, the Holy Spirit, to teach us about the Father, to teach us about the Christian life, to grow in the Christian life. Now, it takes time to come to know the Father heart of God. It doesn't happen right away. But I have invested my entire 40 plus years with or in this pursuit to come to know God my Father as my Heavenly Father, and it is rewarding. Listen, my friends, if the Holy Spirit can indwell you, 
if the Holy Spirit can teach you from his word, if the Holy Spirit can empower you to witness, enable you to worship, then he certainly can enable you to come to know the Father, heart of God. Let me stop and pray for you right now. Father, I'm asking right now that you would open hearts and that you, Holy Spirit, would be invited in by many who are listening to this broadcast to reveal the Father and to help these men, women, and young people and children to enter into one of the greatest, to the greatest relationship there is, to know the Father heart of God. Give them patience and perseverance to understand that this is a lifelong process. In Jesus' name, amen. My friends, the way to start is to purpose, whether you feel like it or not, and just say, Father, thank you for my salvation. Father, thank you for this, that, and the other, and begin to use his name, Father, repeatedly. God bless you as you do. Thank you, Pastor Brad, for this outstanding message and time of ministry. Friends, Pastor Brad and his wife Maureen need a prayer team. Would you kindly consider praying for them on a daily basis? Thank you for your partnership. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please tell others about it. If you would like to partner with him financially, please go to his website at bradably.com. You can also check out his two devotionals and his commentaries on amazon.com. Until next time, we pray that our Lord stir you daily to have a greater heart after him in every way.